Hey, everybody. Welcome to X with Q, a 10-minute podcast to help you lead healthy from ministry to the marketplace. My name is Brad, and today, Pastor Q hosts a special XL episode with Lance Witt. You know, Pastor Q often talks about the value of mentors and coaches in your life, and Lance has coached our team at the chapel for several years You know, Lance was a lead pastor for 20 years and served for seven years as the executive and teaching pastor at Saddleback Church in Southern California. He's also the founder of Replenish Ministries, and for more than a decade, he's been serving leaders and organizations of all shapes and sizes through personal coaching, team development, and church consulting. And so I want to make sure that you check out his most recent book, High Impact Teams, where he explores the connection between healthy and high-performance leadership. Pastor Q takes on the hosting role in this two-part episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. All right, PQ, take it away. Hey, you know what? We have so many great guests on this podcast, but one of my favorite guests of all time is you, Mr. Lance Witt. We are wow, so, I hope they're recording this. They are recording this because you know we have a special relationship. Lance has worked with the staff of the chapel for many years now, but a big fan of what he does, uh, which is work with teams and organizations to maximize their potential and learning to live in a balance of work-life play, so to speak. So listen, a couple of questions I know that everybody is going to want to know off your latest book, High Impact Teams. The book's doing well, is it not? It's doing good, yeah. It's doing good. Okay, well, I was hoping yeah. that you'd be like, well, it's a New York Times bestseller. But anyway, well, outside of- I wish. <laughs> I'm sure after being on this podcast, it oh, will be. Oh, my gosh. It, it will be absolutely skyrocket to number one. But anyway, so listen, when we're building teams, this is what I want to I want to ask you, Lance. When we're building teams, for, uh, the first thing you want to look at is studies indicate that 50% of time is actually wasted. And is there, and there can be nothing worse than walking away from having a meeting with your team or with people, but mostly teams and not knowing (laughs) what we even did or the purpose of the meeting or the outcome. So here's the question for you. What is, what makes an effective meeting? Such a great question. So first off, let me just go back to kind of validate what you said. Someone once said that if you want to kill time, a meeting is a perfect weapon. Oh my gosh. And it's so true because we've all been there. And I always kind of tee this up by saying all of us have been in that moment when like the meeting is supposed to end at two o'clock and it's one 58 and I'm shutting down my computer. I'm loading up my backpack. I'm about to head off to my next meeting. I walk out the door and what nobody ever does is go, was that a good meeting? Was that a fruitful meeting? Right. And so, um, so I've learned by thousands of bad meetings, some good strategies to help you land a good meeting. So let me give you just a couple of practical thoughts. Number one is the most important part of a meeting is the landing. Like if you don't land it well, everything's a disaster, right? And so think about when you fly an airplane, you've (laughs) never had a pilot neglect the landing. And when you're leading a meeting, the same thing has to be true. And so I have a mental cue, just like that airplane begins the descent to the runway. I have a mental cue about 15 minutes before the end of the meeting that I want to begin to land the plane. And okay. I land the plane with three questions. Okay, so landing the planes, the, uh, landing the meeting, ending the meeting is the far most important thing. And Absolutely. then there are three attributes to landing well. Yes, right? okay, within that 15 minutes, I okay. want to answer three questions. All right. 
Number one is, what did we decide? Okay. You have to discern what's the difference between a discussion and a decision. Because if it's Yikes. a discussion, we're just beating it up still. Right. But if it's a decision, we can actually move into execution. And it's amazing how many times we walk out of a meeting and we're not clear on did we actually make a decision? So <laughs> we talked a lot. Yeah, we talked, we talked a, bunch. a lot and we discussed a lot, <laughs> right. but did we actually land a decision? Right, right, right. Second question is who needs to know what we decided? In every organization, one of the big weaknesses of team culture is internal communication. Right. So you should get the discipline of asking yourself who needs to know what we just decided. Okay. The worst place that someone can find out about something is in a church worship service or another right. meeting in the organization and go, right. whoa, that was decided. Right. That impacts my area. Yeah. Everybody and I found didn't out. know about right. it. Everybody found out in the meeting after the meeting. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the third question is who's responsible and what are the key deliverables? So if there's any kind of action step required, I want to name by that action step because when everybody owns it, yeah. nobody owns it. And nice. so I think right. if you can get into the practice of sort of walking through those three questions, that will help you effectively land the meeting and actually make the meeting a win. No, that's incredible. Right. And I would say that those same three principles, three questions could actually work even in a relationship, even in a marriage, even just in a one-on-one -on -one meeting or a meeting with your team. What, what, what would you say to that? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's given, given to me again, three quick ones. What are they? So three quick questions. The, the three quick questions are, what did we decide? Who right. needs to know what we decided right. and who's responsible and what are they delivering? Wow. Incredible. Why does it seem like most meetings, most people go, yeah, okay. An hour. Why does it seem like is it? It's just just the default because that's what Google Calendar does, and that's what, now we've adapted that. Or wh what would you say? Listen, we're going to have a longer meeting. It's going to be a three hour. I would always cringe when I would get calendar invites for meetings from one to three p.m. I'd be like, what in the world are we? Now my personality and the way I'm wired turns around and goes, what am I going to do for two and a half? I got a, the attention span of a gnat, so yeah. I'm like, why am I going to be in this meeting for two and a half hours? So are there any attributes that constitute meaning uh, this is going to be a half hour meeting, an hour meeting, or a 90 minute meeting. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'd yeah. say uh, two principles that come into play. I think one is it is our default to think in half hours and hours. And I think we need, if you're really productive and you read this a lot in productivity books, people think in minutes, not hours. Maybe this mm. is a, a 15 okay, wait, minute. Say meeting. that again. Say it again. People what? Productive now, people think in minutes, not hours. Oh, incredible. So yeah. you've got 1,440 minutes every single day. You've right. got to decide how you're going to best utilize those. And some meetings, instead of a default of an hour, what if you mm. said, you know what? This is a stand-up meeting, and it's 10 minutes, right. and we can knock it out. Right. So I think for me, that's the first thing is to get out of that default mode of half hours or hours. Okay. The second thing I would say is you've got to learn to distinguish the difference between tactical and strategic. Okay. So a tactical meeting right. is... More issues, they take less time, they're not as weighty in their importance, mm. and we can and there tend to be kind of right now sorts of things. So mm. a lot of those we can plow through very quickly. Right. If you're gonna take a two or three hour meeting, it probably needs to be a strategic meeting, which is it's more forward thinking, it's longer term, right. it's bigger stake issues, and we're dealing with less of them. So uh, one in one position I sat in, we did not do a strategic meeting unless we were thinking of something at least three months out. Let me ask you this, though. The difference between strategical and tactical, does it also equate to the number of people in the meeting? So um, in other words, like more people for strategic or and less people for tactical? 
Uh, to me, it's not so much the number of people, it's the kind of thinkers that you want in the room. Oh my gosh. Say that again, Lance. So it's not the number of people, it's the kind of thinkers. Because when I'm having a strategy meeting, I don't want people who naturally think tactics because they think today, right now, solving today's problems, they're going to think about all the how, the budget, the calendar, the facilities. Strategic meeting, I want people who can look into the future. I want people who can strategize about how we're going to get there and not get bogged down in the weeds. Sure. It seems like sometimes people who are in strategical meetings, you know, let's say like you were saying future and forward thinkers, if you have too many tactical people in that meeting, will they drain? Cause if that's what I feel like happens to me, sometimes I'll be in a strategical meeting and I may have the wrong person in the room, great person, but the wrong person because they're very, they're on the micro. They're, they're into the details. And if there are too many details happening, I find myself getting bored and distracted. I'm like, okay, this isn't good anymore. I, I was dragged down to reality. <laughs> yeah. hundred, hundred percent. That's why it's important for you to clarify on the front end, what kind of meeting this is, right. what really is the win of the meeting? Cause if it's to plow through a bunch of tactical issues, that's fine. Right. But if we're dealing with strategy and so sometimes we'll use this phrase, get the how out of here, which is, <laughs> Wait, let's say that again and say it slowly. Sometimes in a meeting when it's strategy and those tactical people start taking over, I will affectionately say, Hey, get the how out of here. Get the, I love that. Lance. Yeah. I, like, I have a this, feeling this you might podca- use that. I might use that tomorrow as a matter of fact. And this, I feel like right now is a good time to say this podcast is going really well without Brad. Although we love Brad, Brad's of course our, our weekly host. But after this, I'm thinking who needs Brad? Hey, Hey Brad, get the how out of here. How about that? <laughs> I'm not sure Brad actually exists. I've never seen any evidence that he's a real person. He is actually a real person. He's wonderful. He's just taking a vacation. He sends his love, but hey, we can do this without you, Brad. All right. So anyway, listen, so what I also find in strategical meetings opposed to tactical meetings is that not only would the tactical mindset or the way they're wired drain the strategic, but strategy is so important to implementing, let's say, the plan. Right. What type of person do you want on your team that understands the, the step-by-step? What, what type of person is that? Yeah, so again, um, I would say you want someone who is sort of tactical-oriented, structured. They value process and think step-by-step. And so, again, you want the, the visionary people in the room when you're thinking about the future and where we're going and the possibilities But once you've made a decision about kind of where we're going and we move to implementation, now we want to get the integrators into the room. We want to get the people who actually think through the step-by-step because just like the tactical people can be frustrating to the visionary people, the opposite is also true. Oh, absolutely. Right? Right, Because you get a visionary in the room and they want to keep hijacking the conversation every time you move to implementation (laughs) because they have some new harebrained idea they want to throw into the mix. <laughs> that's exactly so that, right. So that frustration runs both ways, by right, the way. Right. And I think that's important to understand that wouldn't you say, and this is a question, wouldn't you say that the tension between the strategic and the tactical will always exist? Because it's kind of like, lack of a better term, God-given wiring. We need one another, blue sky thinkers, and then the process people to make it happen. So you need both. But there's always going to be that sort of tension that exists 
What would you say to that? Yeah, I think it's a dance that you learn to have. And again, it should be complimentary, right? right? That that visionaries need, you know, tactical people. Tactical people need idea people. Um, but it's learning how to do the dance and to value each other, but also to understand what kind of meeting we're having. So yeah. that if I'm the tactical person, that I'm either not in the room and I'm okay with it, or I'm in the room, but maybe I'm letting some other people take the lead. So I think it's just being really clear about what we're trying to accomplish right, right. now in this particular meeting. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say in, in, a, in a different sense is if the expectation for the meeting is set prior to actually the execution of the meeting, the patience level and understanding level between the strategic person and the tactical and then the tactical and the strategic is going to be far greater because I set my expectation up. This is going to be a strategical blue sky idea, forward thinking, but I'm a tactical person. If I know that up front, I already know I'm setting my expectation for we're not going to get in the process. We're not going to get into, I'm not going to bring the room down with all the details of the how. Right. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think there's a simple question that takes 30 seconds on the front end of a meeting to simply ask, what's the win for this meeting? Nice. Nice. Just by asking that, you help clarify expectations. Because sometimes we have standing meetings and we get in there and we're like going, well, we're not really sure what we're trying to accomplish today. Right. And then it becomes such a waste of time. Exactly. I can't stand. And those, those kind of meetings drain me even more than... A, strat a strategic person stretching over to tactical or yeah. vice versa, not having getting something done, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour, drives me nuts. You know, in your in your latest book, uh, High Impact Teams, you talk about several aspects of building healthy teams and what they look like. Give us some insight on what are a couple of attributes on how effective uh, a great team can be. What are some of those attributes that you find in great teams? Well, kind of the premise of the entire book is that the real synergy comes in great teams when you have this blend of both health and high performance, Nice. There that it's about relationships and results. And so, and obviously there's nuances to each side of that equation, but I think what I find myself constantly challenging teams to do is to really go hard after both. And what I know about leaders is all of us have a bent toward one side or the other. Some of us are very results driven. We read leadership books mm -hmm. all the time. Right. We're, we're drivers in the organization, exactly. right, right. but maybe don't always care about people. And we unintentionally trample on people in the name of vision, right? Sure, sure. And then there's others who we're great shepherds. We're very caring. We're diplomatic. We're loving. Right. We just don't really get much done. <laughs> and, and so what we want is to go, Hey, all of us have a natural tilt toward one side or the other, right. but how do we as an organization or how do I as a leader or a manager really go hard after both. Right. Sure. And I think a, a really healthy, strong leader understands, I don't want people on my team that are me. I want to bring, and that's what I'm going to ask next is, I don't I want to bring as a healthy, strong leader, people around my team, on my team that complement perhaps where my lack of a better term weakness is. Yes, you, I think that's, and I can't imagine any leader disagreeing with that statement, right. but I'd say a couple of things that get in the way. One is you've got to make room for them to actually shine in their gifts. Right. Um, so again, I hear a lot of people go, oh yeah, you got to compliment your weaknesses. Well, yeah, but are you making room 
for those people who come in and they will do it different and they will, you know, right. handle situations differently. The other issue I think that really gets in the way is what I would call lack of self-awareness. Hmm. If I don't have good emotional intelligence, if I don't have good awareness about hmm. sort of who I am and where my shadow side is hmm. and all that, that will bump into all those things right. and I'll become defensive. I'll become insecure. Sure. And so I think you've got to allow room for those people to really shine. Right. So in other words, well, running well, your lane. Sure. In other words, what you're saying is sure. Absolutely. Bring, if you want to build an effective high impact team, bring people around the table that complement your weakness. Sure. Step one, but step one is going to mean nothing. If you don't value what they say from their perspective and their wiring that actually will alter maybe some of the way you lead. Like for me, for example, I, I like to move fast. I just like to move fast. Let's go. It's, it's ready. It's ready. Shoot aim. I enjoy that. I love people around me that are like that, like Tiggers. I just love, let's go, let's yep. go. However, what I have learned is the strength of building a team is not only putting that person who is like more process, let's say more tactical, but also allowing them to slow me down a little bit because I'm then lifting up their gift or their natural wiring. And it brings, this beautiful it feels like it brings this beautiful balance is that what you're saying it brings this yeah. balance you know it does it brings great balance and by the way it's better for the organization why is that why do you say that because if if left to yourself to sort of lead the way you lead you will unintentionally churn through people and cause burnout because oh my you gosh. can say run, that again say it again say it because that's so good be, why why is it so why is that so important that self-awareness aspect because left to yourself right. and not really bringing in people that complement your weaknesses you will unintentionally churn through staff they'll get burned out they'll leave you'll end up having high turnover because not everybody can run at the pace that you run. Right, right. And so sometimes, especially when you're the senior leader, you better have a person or two around you that'll tell you the truth about the implications down in the organization of your ideas. Right. Because often visionaries see the idea and where they want to go, but they don't always see the price tag yeah. or the steps oh, yeah, involved. Yeah. Well, well, you have said this before when you've been when you spend time with our staff that a, that a healthy self awareness because that's what you're talking about mm -hmm. is that whether you're just a leader, senior leader, or whatever level in management or leadership. A self-awareness is a key attribute to have, but your famous statement that I will always remember, and I want you to expound on it in just a, just for a little bit, is uh, it's always a yes. Oh, we can do that. Let's go. But yet you have to hold the price tag up to your direct report. So it's a yes, but hold the price tag up. Go dig, dig, dig a little bit on that one. Yeah, because I worked for several years as kind of a number two to a very entrepreneurial visionary leader. Right. And again, he, he's a dreamer. And so what I, I don't want to be as the number two guy, kind of the dream squasher and give him six reasons why his idea won't work. Well, I want to get a shirt that says so, dream squasher. squasher. <laughs> so, I love it. so what I learned over the years is to lead with yes, like, hey, we can absolutely do that now holding up the price tag. Here's what that's going to mean. That means we're going to have to pivot the staff you know, to do this, or it's going to cost us this much money to do right. this. And sometimes they would go, oh yeah, I'm not like, that's not that big a deal to me. Right, right. But there were times when that senior leader said, you know what, I have such conviction about this idea that yes, let's pivot the organization or whatever. And, and then in that case, I go, great. Right. I have the marching orders, but we're clear about what it's going to mean to really go hard after that idea. Oh, that's awesome. And I think that would, to a healthy, strong leader, 
that's the the broad global perspective you want from your team going, hey, let's go. Absolutely. Don't want to be, I love it. Here it is, dream squasher. You don't want to be that. But at the same time, you want to also have a realistic evaluation of, but it that's going to cost us this. Yes. You know, what a great thing. Thanks for listening to X with Q. For more leadership content, hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with a friend. See you next time.